Hi, I'm Tim Hart. This is Experiencing God. Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Hart, and you're listening to Experiencing God. So we're now in episode 12. It's a series on spiritual gifts, looking at the spiritual gifts of the Bible, what it means to be the body of Christ and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for works of ministry. In the last two episodes, we've been working through the spiritual gift of prophecy. Again, mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy. It's one of the gifts that God distributes to the church. And in fact, we as we learned a couple episodes, Episodes ago, it's actually something that Paul encourages that we seek, even especially out of all of the gifts. If you read in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 1, it says, Pursue love uh, and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That's really interesting that Paul seemed to highlight the gift of prophecy as something that should be especially sought after in the church. And he goes on to say that when people prophesy, uh, someone prophesies, they speak to people for their strengthening, their encouragement, their comfort. That's in verse 3 of chapter 14. And it says, for the one who speaks in tongues builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So it's this, uh, it's this spiritual gift that is, has a powerful effect on a community to strengthen strengthen people, build people up, encourage them. And so uh, I've already done two episodes on this, but I actually want to do just one more episode here, episode three. And the reason for that is there's actually a couple of things uh, still that we haven't really covered yet. And I thought it would be good to just add those on to a third episode and actually just hit a couple more areas on this topic. Again, I think this is really important. Number one, just like we said, Paul seems to encourage this you know, in a, in a unique way, uh, more than the other spiritual gifts. And number two is I kind of have seen just from my own personal experience and just exposure and being in different churches, you know, have seen some times when if this thing isn't understood right, it can actually cause a big mess and it can cause a lot of trouble and people get uh, confused and they get kind of disheartened. And, and so it's really important that we get a really solid biblical foundation on what is this thing called New Testament prophecy and what should it look like and how should it function? So uh, if you remember, we've kind of given this definition to prophecy and it comes from Dr. Wayne Grudem in his book, The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament and Today. And the working definition that we have from Dr. Grudem is a great one. He says that when people prophesy, when someone shares a prophetic word, they speak a message in their own words of something that God has brought to their mind. You know, so as we covered, you know, one of the aspects of prophecy is that it comes by revelation and that God reveals something to us that could be a picture that comes to mind. It could be a phrase or something, you know, we use this term, the still small voice of God. I don't know if you've heard that before, but it can be sort of this, um, the God speaking in your thoughts. It can sound just like your thoughts. It can just, it can look just like images you may have in your mind. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it requires some interpretation, but we really put it into our own words and share the message. And that's like a very clear picture of what prophecy is in the New Testament. If you're just jumping in for the first time in this series on this episode, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode uh, 10 and 11, the previous two episodes, because this gets really unpacked a lot more thoroughly. And so 
I'll let you go and do that. Uh, but there's two key passages we looked at so far in some of the other episodes. And it was in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. And so in this passage, Paul's ex- uh, exhorting the church in Thessalonica. And he's saying, do not despise prophecies. Actually, before that, he says, don't quench the Spirit's fire and do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. Now, that's a really key phrase because we learn something here is when prophecy happens, number one, we shouldn't despise it. Uh, we shouldn't get kind of freaked out by it and not allow it to happen in churches. You know, pastors that would maybe forbid this from happening in churches. I kind of think you would come under the same exhortation of Paul where he's saying, don't quench the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. But, you know, and don't despise prophecies. Allow these things to happen. But we have to have a good healthy testing process where we weigh and test to determine if this is something that came from the Spirit of God. A very similar verse mentioned is, again, one of the texts we've been working through. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 29 to 31, there it says that uh, two or three prophets should speak. Again, this is in a church service, like a gathering, a worship gathering. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And it says, if a revelation comes to one who is sitting, then the first speaker should be silent. The second speaker can share. And it says, for you can all prophesy one by one uh, so that everyone can be encouraged and instructed. And, uh, and then we kind of covered this idea that, you know, prophecy is something where the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. So it's not like this ecstatic, spontaneous experience that you have no control over and you fly out of your seat and you start speaking in oracles. Actually, it says that you have a measure of control. You can actually wait your turn for the first guy to be done. Then maybe you would get up and share, but it's something that is actually subject to your timing. It's not ecstatic and spontaneous. Uh, necessarily. Uh, in fact, it's even, it may sometimes feel that way. You know, there's some of these times where you see people prophesying, it seems to be like, you know, got, maybe you'd call it a stronger unction of God on it or something like that. But it, again, no matter what kind of experience you're seeing in a church, if it's genuinely from the Holy Spirit, it says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It's something that is not out of control. It's not chaos. It's actually done in order and the right way. That's kind of the thrust of the passage. But you notice there, it said that the two or three prophets should speak. The others should weigh what is said. Well, in the last two episodes, here's what we really didn't get into very much is how do you actually do that? How do you weigh and test prophecy? And, you know, what does that process look like? And how, you know, can we be certain that a prophecy came from the Holy Spirit and that, or that, how do we know, like, is it possible to determine, is that something that guy made up or is that something that the Holy Spirit inspired in him? Like, is it even possible for us to know that? So I'm going to actually get into this topic a little further, specifically on how do we weigh and test prophecy? What does this actually look like in a practical sense in a church gathering or in a small group gathering? And I think that's going to help us say, just um, fill out a little bit more of the conversation on this spiritual gift. So weighing and testing prophecy. Well, I'll tell you right now, you cannot find an epistle, uh, you know, one of the letters of the New Testament written by Paul or anywhere else uh, that says, okay, well now concerning testing prophecies and then gives us the step-by-step instructions. I mean, sometimes it does do that with certain topics, you know, like now concerning marriage or now concerning lawsuits among believers. You know, there's places where we get that, but you actually can't find anywhere in the New Testament, where it just tells you this is how you weigh and test prophecy. It's kind of like, well, how do we know then? 
Well, there's a couple of things that are more of these overarching principles that we get out of the scripture uh, that come into play. And so I want to talk about a few of those and actually suggest to you a couple of ways that I think we can weigh and test prophecy. So before we do that, I want to tell you two things uh, sort of just at the beginning of unpacking all this. And that is number one, it is not optional to weigh and test prophecy. You know, if you actually look in these passages, 1 Thessalonians 5, and we talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, it actually says, it almost implies it's a necessity. You know, it's a command. When, when there's prophecy given, then the others should weigh carefully what is said or, you know, test everything, hold on to what is good. It's actually not optional. I actually believe that all prophecy needs to be subjected to this process of weighing and testing. If you don't do it, then you're actually not operating in prophecy in a biblical sense. I think there's a safety measure that God put in place that this weighing and the testing process is actually required. So that's my first point is that this is something that's not an optional thing. This is something we actually need to do if we're going to have prophetic words spoken or have people with this gift in our churches and serving in that kind of ministry. It's actually really important that they learn that when they're going to share prophetic words, that it's going to be tested and that the rest of the community knows that when you receive prophetic words, you need to weigh it and test it. So that's number one. It's not an optional thing. It's actually required for this ministry. Number two, this might seem very simple or maybe overly simple, but I actually think that weighing and testing prophecy is possible. And you're probably saying, well, of course it's possible, you know, but sometimes here's why I'm saying this. Why I want to make that really clear is because sometimes you have communities or churches or small groups and it's like, you know, somebody shares a prophetic word or, you know, God brought something to their mind and they're putting in their own words, they're sharing it. And everyone kind of looks around and is like, well, I don't know, was that from God? Oh, I don't know. Do you think it was? Well, kind of, but I don't know. Do you? I don't know. And you get to this where no one's actually really sure. You know, I've actually been in a lot of settings where people kind of like look at each other and like, well, what do we do with that? I don't know. There's just this kind of lack of confidence to actually go through the process of weighing something and testing it and then coming away confidently to know that was a prophetic word from God. And we can, you know, we can pray that we can be encouraged by that. Or to actually say, no, we don't think that was a prophecy. We're actually going to dismiss that. Because you have to come to one of those two. If you kind of just get stuck where we're not sure, it really doesn't have the same uh, benefit, really. And so you'd be surprised how many people actually are not actually sure that you can successfully weigh and test a prophecy and be confident that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit or else be confident that, you know, it wasn't from the Holy Spirit. It was just that person got excited. They started sharing stuff they were making up. They didn't realize it, whatever. Uh, So that's my second point is that it is actually possible for us to do this. So when you hear a prophecy and it's in a group setting, it's actually possible that those present can weigh and test and discern to determine if God is involved in this prophetic word. So we want to get a little bit into how to do that. So the first way that prophecy gets tested is actually for you and I to ask the question when a prophecy is given, does this line up with scripture? You know, or does it disagree with scripture? Is there a conflict between what's being spoken through a prophecy 
and with scripture. That's actually the first and the most important way that prophecy is tested. So as Christians, we know that the scripture, the Bible, the collection of books that we have known as the Bible, we accept those as the authoritative word of God. They, we, those, we call them the very words of God. They're the commands of God. You know, in the authors of scripture, they, they didn't just write those by themselves. It was actually a co-authorship that God breathed his spirit into them and inspired them. And as they wrote, they were writing the words of God. That comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. Also, um, you know, if you haven't kind of looked into some of the theology of the scripture and why we accept the canon and why we accept certain books, you know, as being in scripture, other books are not. Um, there's some great resources where you can study that a little further. One great one is actually the same author I've mentioned before, Wayne Grudem. He wrote this book called uh, Systematic Theology. And in that book, Systematic Theology, he goes in depth into the canon, the Old Testament canon, why the Old Testament books are chosen and collected as recognized as scripture, the New Testament canon. He goes into the authority of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture, uh, the sufficiency of scripture, the clarity of scripture. And he gets into some of these really important theological principles when it comes to the word of God. But you know, suffice it to say, as Christians, we accept that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. You know, God is the spirit of truth. He's actually called the spirit of truth. It also says that he is not a man that he should lie. You know, God is not going to say one thing over here and then disagree or, con you know, contradict himself somewhere else. He's actually very consistent. And so when a prophecy is given, one of the most important things to ask, is there anything about this that actually disagrees with the, some core principles of theology in the word of God? And that's kind of the first and most important way that we test prophecy is it has to line up with the word of God. So here's one of the challenges with that though, is that some prophecies, you can't actually really get an answer from the word of God, whether or not the prophecies from God or not. You know, what I mean is there's, here's an example. Let's say there's somebody who has a job in a certain city and maybe there's another job opportunity that came up in another city and it's some distance away. So it involved moving and moving your family. Well, you know, and maybe in the midst of that, you feel God speaking to you or you receive a prophetic word about it. Well, the Bible doesn't really tell you if you should move your family to a new city or if you should stay. It's kind of like, you know, there's these very specific situational circumstances involved in, it's not really like you can just go find scripture verses that give you the answer is, is this prophetic word from God or not? So it has to be other ways that we test it as well. Now, this is kind of true of one of the prophecies in the New Testament. So in Acts 11, uh, the prophet Agabus, he predicts a famine that's going to come on the whole world. Like we've talked about before, has happened in the time of Claudius. Well, when Agabus is first giving this prophecy, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us where he gave it or who was around, who listened to it, or what the process was like when they weighed it and tested it. You know, uh, you know, I'd imagine people standing around listening and it's like, well, you can't really go to any of the scriptures um, you know, there's in the Bible to kind of say whether or not this famine is going to happen or not. Now, there's biblical precedent in the Bible that God would warn prophets and in, in different people about things that are going to come or things are going to happen. Uh, but sometimes it's actually really difficult just to find a Bible verse to confirm, uh, you know, and to clarify for us if a prophecy is really genuinely from God, if it's going to come true. So we want to look at some other ways in which we actually weigh and test prophecy. So here's another test I kind of um, like to point out is that if you look in scripture, how God relates to his people, well, he's always relating to his people 
in, uh, you know, kind of very similar ways. Like, for example, all throughout the Bible, God, there's this picture of God being our father. So the, one of the ways that God relates to us is as a father relates to his children. I say, now, you know, obviously it's way more intense than that. God is far more loving. He's far greater, it, you know, but this picture of a loving father with his children is gives us a picture of how God relates to us. Another way is Jesus is referred to as a bridegroom. You know, he loves the church, the people of God. He loves them as his bride. So here's what one person said years ago. I thought it was actually really good is they said that, you know, whenever God speaks, he's always going to speak as a father speaking to his children or as a bridegroom speaking to a bride that he loves. You know, maybe he's also a king in scripture. Obviously, that's the imagery of him being the king. He's the king uh, on the throne of David forever and ever. And so, you know, or a loving king speaking to the subjects that he loves. But there's always these ways that we get a glimpse of how God relates to his people. And so I think that one of the ways we can test prophecy is, does this sound like a father speaking to his children? Does it sound like a husband speaking to the bride whom he loves? You know, and, and actually just getting a sense of, is there a sense of God's love in this, in his absolute love for his church? Because sometimes prophecy can come be very harsh and uh, it can be condemning and it just, you know, absent of this sort of love in it. And we know very clearly from 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if Paul says, if I prophesy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, you know, basically says, if I have not love, I am nothing. These things have no value. So I think there needs to be uh, the sense of a loving God speaking in the message. And that kind of goes into a little bit as well, the fruit of the Spirit. So there's Galatians 5. We know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Well, so where, that one of the ways you can understand the fruit of the Spirit is that wherever God's presence is, wherever his spirit is, and wherever it is working, it is going to produce these things. These are the fruits of the spirit. This is the effect that he has when he's working, when he's present, there's love is present. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of these things are actually indicators that it's from God's spirit. Now, sometimes, you know, you can get uh, like I've, just, I've heard examples where people prophesy stuff and it comes actually with the opposite. It's producing a, a sense of uh, rejection or condemnation or it's coming with a sense of dread and fear. Maybe it's producing anxiety. Well, we know that fear and anxiety, that those things are not fruits of the spirit. It's really clear. God says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And in other places it says that, you know, perfect love drives out all fear in First John. And so we know that if, you know, a, a message that is supposedly from God is producing feelings of or a sense of condemnation or rejection or, you know, anger, uh, those kinds of things to his church. And it's sort of absent of love and that peace and that joy. Not that all the words are going to be content wise, love and joy and peace. But I'm just saying that when the spirit is working, there's a sense of his presence that's producing in us that, you know, it's, there's a love, there's a, there's a grace, there's just this, um, you know, if there's joy, there's peace in his presence. And if it's the opposite, I think there's a very strong indication that what's being said is not being shared from the Holy Spirit. 
So that's a couple of things. We have like this idea of the fruit of the spirit. We have this idea of God and his nature and how he relates to us. He's a loving father who loves us. He's a, he's a bridegroom who loves his bride. Um, there's also the sense of scripture. He's truth. He is the spirit of truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He won't contradict himself. He won't speak something contrary to what's in his word. All prophecy is going to come under uh, the word of God. Uh, and so there's another thing actually that happens in how prophecy is tested. And that's actually through a gift of discerning spirits. So we've covered this gift in a previous episode. If you didn't listen to that, you're welcome to go back and listen to it. Uh, but I unpacked this gift a little bit. One of the expressions of a gift of discerning spirits is actually that people are able to discern the presence and the working of God in things like prophecy or even in teaching or in, uh, you know, even in things like evangelism and all that. So a gift of discernment, somebody with a strong gift of discernment can often have a keen, they'll often have a very keen sense and awareness that when somebody's speaking and, you know, if they're sharing a message that came to them through a revelation, in other words, our, kind of our definition of prophecy, and yet if it's, you know, has the sense of the spirit of God in it, they will often be able to discern the spiritual source. And they'll be able to say to the rest of the people there, hey guys, I just want to share, I had a real sense that this was from the Lord. It just really, I could sense the presence of God in it as the person was speaking. And um, actually, I had an interesting experience. I'll just tell you a quick story. I was in a church one time, and uh, we had—I was playing. I was on the worship team, and so we were doing worship. And there was a church service. And anyway, this lady had come up, and she had a prophecy that she wanted to give the whole church. Now, she kind of just came up to the microphone, uh, was given the microphone, had the freedom to do that. So she then just. I remember she kind of got this very demonstrative type of, she kind of like, uh, kind of groaned a little bit and she kind of leaned way over and she's like, it kind of sounded intense. It sounded really ultra spiritual. And so I'm kind of watching and listening to what's being said. To be honest with you, I don't even remember exactly what she said. It wasn't anything that was really clear and memorable. It was just sort of a bunch of things kind of that were said. But I remember I had a really weird sense as it was being shared, I'm on the stage, I'm holding, I can't remember what instrument I was playing. I think I might've been playing the drums. I'm there and I'm listening to what's being shared. And I can't describe, it's hard to describe to you, but I just had this very, very clear sense that these words were just hollow and they were empty. Like it was almost, if I could describe it, like it had a void of the Holy Spirit in it. It just, I can't tell you how I knew that. It's just in my spirit, I knew I was listening to these words. I just knew this was not from the Lord. This was just somebody, the, even the, the kind of dramatic, the dramatizations, if you want to call it that, the kind of keeling over and the noises and things that were coming with it. I was just very clearly a man-made production and it had what I felt like I was perceiving in a spiritual sense, a, a, a void of the spirit. It just didn't have the Holy Spirit in it. I mean, I've heard, I remember times where I've heard teachers teaching and they're not really even saying anything that remarkable. Just, they might be just reading a basic truth out of one of the epistles. But I remember just hearing people teach, and I've had this before, uh, gift, the gift of discernment for me has, works this way, where sometimes when people teach, I just have this sense of the Holy Spirit's presence in their words and activating the gift of teaching in them, working through them. And there's a very clear sense that what they are speaking is being empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. 
And then I've had other times when it's like, I actually feel a very uncomfortable feeling as people are teaching. And I can't even tell you why sometimes they're teaching and it's just something doesn't feel right, but I can't actually figure out in the words themselves, you know, what exactly is wrong, but I know something is wrong. And so this is, anyway, I'm just trying to tell you some of those stories just to get a picture that the uh, gift of discernment is actually something that can be really effective in weighing and testing prophetic words. I've had other experiences where I've been in a circle and where somebody had a prophetic word and they shared it. Sometimes for me, this has happened when they've shared it for me, like the word was for me. Or other times it was like, I'm sitting there, the word's not for me at all. That person over here is sharing a prophetic word with somebody across from me. And yet as they're speaking, I have a sense of the Holy Spirit's presence in the words themselves. And after it was spoken, I have actually said, hey guys, I want you to know that as that was being shared, I had a very keen sense that the Lord's presence was in the words in some way. And so I, you know, I just want to add, and I never say, by the way, that there you go, everybody, that trumps it. It's, that's, you know, I'm right and whatever. Like I still, I just say, I want to submit that as we're weighing and testing this. I just want to put that in to the mix. Not that, it, you know, because I could be wrong as well with things like that, but um, I have had those experiences. And so getting back to that first story, so I'm in this church and this prophecy shared and it has this very hollow, empty feeling to it. Like it just felt absent of the Lord. And I actually went to the leader of the meeting and I said, hey, I don't know, you know, how you guys do this, but I wanted to share with you that I actually don't think that prophecy was from the Lord. So I'm, I mean, I wasn't, I, I'm not a pastor there. I wasn't kind of in any leadership role there. It certainly wasn't my place to kind of stand up and, I don't know, uh, correct anybody. or I just kind of felt like at the time what felt right to me was just to submit that to those who were leading the meeting and let them know. And actually, they had a very similar sense and ended up having a conversation with the person. So now here's the thing, though. It, sometimes when you go to people and you have like this sense of discernment, maybe, or it's like something just doesn't line up with scripture uh, or, you know, there's something absent. This is like a fruit of the spirit type of quality that is absent. And I don't know if you've ever been in like in a situation like this, but this is this happens many times. People will go and if in a church where someone's prophesied, and yet maybe it was discerned, it was very clear that that wasn't from the Lord. Well, here's the thing: people will go and say to the person, "Hey, thanks for sharing that, but I really don't think that was from the Lord." Nine times out of ten, at least maybe not nine times out of ten, but I'm just saying a lot of times in my experience, people become very offended and they become very defensive. And they go away or they try and say things like, oh, don't you know who I am? Or like, that was, I know that was from the Holy Spirit and you just don't get it. And they get this kind of weird defensive and they're trying to just sort of push their agenda a little bit. And that's one of the biggest problems in this ministry is people who do that. Or at least that those actions, when people do those actions. If you are going to be somebody who walks in a gift of prophecy and who does this kind of ministry, you absolutely must submit yourself to the process of weighing and testing and actually being scrutinized and be very ready for people to come up to you and say, well, thanks for sharing, but I don't think that was from the Lord. And you can't get offended by that. You actually should celebrate that what's being done is being done in a biblical model. There absolutely has to be this submission and this humility uh, you know, to, uh, to, to leaders and to, the, and to church, like, because here's, if it's, if you're getting into this place where, you know, you start to think that you have the word of God. And when you speak this word of God, you know, it's, 
you know, it's the, it's the word of God and they're, they're rejecting the spirit. They're quenching the spirit. You get very judgmental. You get very prideful. It actually creates disaster in this kind of ministry. That's one of the biggest problems in this kind of ministry. And actually, whenever I teach on this, whenever I talk to people about the gift of prophecy and the ministry of prophecy, I always say we have to have this process of weighing and testing. And we have to create a culture where people can share prophetic words. And it can be okay when the other people come back and say, hey, I don't think that was from the Lord. And that that first person doesn't get offended and get judgmental and storm off the out of the church and accuse everybody of not having the Holy Spirit and taking half the church with them. Like that's what, that's the stuff we have to stop. And we have to like actually operate in a love for the body of Christ in a posture of humility and submission. It's, if you'll notice in those passages, uh, particularly in 1 Corinthians 14, it is not the prophetic person's job to weigh the prophecy. So the prophetic person will share the prophecy, then he'll sit down and you'll notice it says, then the others will weigh what is said. You know, some debate, does that mean the other prophets will weigh what is said? Does that mean the others as in the whole church or the whole congregation? There's a little bit of debate as to what that is and different churches do that different ways. But it's the, the point is, it's not the person sharing the prophecy who has the burden of responsibility to weigh it and test it. It's actually somebody else or a group of other people who are present, who are listening. And so I think there's an implied sense in the, in the passage that that prophet must be submitted to the process, realizing that's the biblical process. And they've got to trust that whatever the discernment process is and, and whatever's, you know, the outcome of that is, that they need to be in a posture of humility and, and to serve that way. And I think when we do that, we'll end up with a much healthier, um, much, much healthier ministry. Like, you know, in terms of church services and prophecy happening, it'll happen in a, in a much healthier way. Um, there is another way that you test prophecy, and that is, quite simply, sort of what we read in Deuteronomy 18. This is how you know a prophet is from the Lord, what he says comes to pass. So there's sort of this kind of a wait and see test. You know, let's see what happens. That's another one. Um, I want to share one other one that's really important as well and that we need to be aware of. And it's actually, uh, and that's the spiritual test of accuracy. So here's the thing. So, you know, a prophecy being accurate information does not necessarily mean that it comes from God. Yeah, that might sound a little bit like, what? What did you just say? And I'll say it again. Just because something gives you accurate information does not actually mean that that came from God. And I'll give you an example of this. In Acts chapter 16, um, there's an interesting scene here. You can flip open to it if you want. It's Acts 16. Uh, I think it starts in and around verse 16. Um, so this is Paul and Silas. And it says, as we we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. Now, listen to what this girl is crying out. She's saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it says, she kept doing this for many days. That's really interesting. So this girl is actually saying things that are 100% true. Paul and Silas, they are servants of the most high God, and they very much are proclaiming the way of salvation, the gospel. She's accurately describing who they are and what they're doing. And then look what happens next. She's doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, actually love that. It's kind of funny because it seems like, well, she's not saying anything bad. Why is Paul so upset? Well, 
probably because it is a spirit of divination, a demon. And so this, Paul, this is be greatly annoyed. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So that's very interesting. You can read a little bit more to the story. The people get upset because now their way of making money off this girl went away and turns into trouble for Paul a little bit. But uh, the point is, Paul did not recognize any value in what she was saying because it was the source of it. He knew it was a spirit of divination. And yet it was speaking 100% accurate, true information. And so it's just because something is telling you correct information does not necessarily become you know, the definitive test of, okay, that prophecy was from God because it was really accurate. You still have to go through the other ones. The, this, is this a, a loving father? Is it a loving husband? Is that the fruit of the spirit? Is it matching up with scripture? You know, those other things are, I would say, even more important. Do the people with gifts of discernment, do they feel like this is from God? And, um, just because accuracy in and of itself is not necessarily a reliable test. So I just wanted to uh, throw that in. Um, I want to share just a really interesting story with you. Of um, we were in a uh, home church setting, and this is years ago, and we were having a time of prayer. And um, this is a very bizarre, a little story, but it's just kind of to give you some a little bit more on the experience of weighing and testing prophecy to determine, you know, its source and everything. And so, anyway, we're sitting in this circle, and uh, this the, one of the people in the circle has this prophetic word. And we were taking some time to listen and we had some notepads. We're just, you know, we're praying and we're just listening to see if God wants to say anything and, and things like that. So anyway, as we're praying, somebody in the circle uh, actually had an image, like a mental image come to mind. This, it was a black and white image. And it looked like this sort of haunted house looking thing. Uh, they described it after it was like, looked sort of like this dilapidated house. It was kind of almost falling over and the walls looked all whitewashed. And it just looked actually kind of this very haunting, scary dreadful feeling in the image and then uh this is actually i, for, I don't know for now like now i find this actually hilarious but um you'll see why in a second but anyway then they hear the verse and i believe it was amos 6 9 they hear this verse in their head like in their thoughts they hear the phrase amos 6 9 i'm pretty sure that's what it was going through their mind now what's hilarious about this is if like first of all nobody Nobody knows what Amos 6, 9 is. That's not a verse that anybody knows. It's not like John 3, 16 or one of those. It's like, no way. I've never found anybody who knew what Amos 6, 9 says. But here's what Amos 6, 9 says. It says, and if 10 remain in one house, they shall die. <laughs> so what was crazy is we're sitting in this room and there are 10 of us in the house. There are 10 people sitting in a circle and we're in a house. We're doing like a house church. And so she sees this black and white image. She sees this haunted house. And then she hears Amos 6, 9. If there are 10 men remain in one house, they shall die. And we looked at each other and we we're just, I mean, so here's what was happening. It was this sort of quasi prophetic word, except it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. It actually came from a demonic spirit. Now this person, by the way, uh, is a very godly person. I don't believe that she was, you know, had a demonic issue or was demonized. That's really not what it is. Sometimes, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Justin, he talks about um, spirits are projectors. So demonic spirits are actually able to project things into your mind. And that's not necessarily you're demonized and you have a demon in you that needs to get cast out. That's going to be, you know, I, I've even had this a couple of times where, 
um, I've had these images. I'm walking down the street, walk by someone. All of a sudden, these images go through my mind, and it's I see you know sometimes violent images or things. I'm like, oh, what was that? Get out of my mind. Uh, so anyway, these spirits, demonic spirits, can actually project things in your mind. So um, this person sitting there has these images. They're black and white. They're scary looking, and they're basically it was a prophecy of death. But it didn't come from the Lord. Like this came from a demon. A demonic spirit is putting these thoughts into this person's mind who spoke, who didn't speak it over us. Uh, You know, they themselves realize like, okay, I really don't think this is from the Lord. I'll tell you what I saw and heard. And so they describe it. We're like, you know, so we're all talking about, yes, we can safely say that none of this was actually coming from the Holy Spirit. So we actually, we actually prayed and we said, Lord, we just reject right now in Jesus name, any sort of. Uh, assignment of demonic spirits are trying to bring any kind of harm or anything to us in this home church in this gathering and we actually basically when you get uh, something that a demon says you basically t- turn it into the opposite and that's mostly what's the interpretation is it's the opposite of what the demon said basically so we kind of turn it around we just you know prayed john 10 10 you know god came and we have life and have it more abundantly and we just you know spend some time praying over ourselves but there's just a very uh interesting example of uh so that was one that was very easy to weigh and test a prophecy that was very obvious in that case um but it does bring up that sometimes prophecy can actually come from false spirits right as we learn in Acts 16 and uh it's my story here with a friend of mine and so anyway so weighing and testing is really important so we covered a little bit of how this happens and I just really can't say enough how important it is if we're going to have prophecy happening uh within our churches within our communities that we have to establish this culture where it's done in the right way, it's done submissively, it's done with a humble spirit, where, you know, prophetic words are given. That's why actually, you know, if you read a lot of writers on this topic of prophecy, you'll notice in the Old Testament, they say, thus says the Lord, and then it'll be in quotation marks, and it's the very words of God. Well, in the New Testament, prophecy, it's actually far better for you and I to say things like, you know, I feel like the Lord just brought this to my mind, and I think this is what it means, and or I feel like the Lord might be saying to you this and that. Or, hey, I just want to, I had this verse come to mind. I want to share it with you. You know, this is very humble, uh, servant-hearted way to actually approach somebody and submit it to them. And that gives them the, actually, it kind of in a way, subtly gives them permission to actually weigh it and test it and to go back and say, uh, you know, thanks, but I don't, I didn't think that was from the Lord. And here's the thing. If you give something and someone comes back to you and says, I don't think that was from the Lord then be really humble about it, you know? Say, hey, I'm really sorry. I share. I, I thought that was God. I guess it was just my own thought. So I apologize. I hope, you know, thanks for telling me that. It's helping me to grow and learn in the gifting and everything. Don't get this kind of defensive attitude that you know, you're the prophet and you're always right until they must be wrong. I remember one time I was with somebody and I, I, I had, I, we were at an outreach kind of thing and I had shared some words of knowledge and I'm going to be frank with you, they were just totally wrong. You know, I went to someone, I said, I, I don't remember what it was. I think I said something like, hey, do you have a uh, a family member out in Ontario who's thinking of moving here, you know, or something like that? Or And, and they're like, that's not what it was, by the way. I'm just going to, as an example. And they're like, no, no. And I was like, well, do you have like a family member in Ontario? Or do you have like a sister? I was a sister. Do you have a sister? No, I don't have a sister. Do you have any family in Ontario? No, I don't have any family in Ontario. Yeah, I, I realize 
what I, you know, I'd had some thoughts come to my mind, some images in my mind. They were kind of spontaneous. It came to me. I thought they were from God. And I took a risk and I tried sharing it. I did it in a really humble way. And that person just told me, you know, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't have any family in Ontario. No one's thinking of moving here. I was just wrong, right? And so anyway, I shared with this other person who I'm with and they were pretty certain that I was right, but that person was lying to me. They're like, oh no, no, you heard from God. That person must just be lying to you. And I was like, no, I don't think so. You know, so anyway, I just wanted to share that just because that's what you can't do. Just get in this idea that, you know, there's this infallibility to it or that you've got some uh, gift that's always right and it's never open to question. We actually have to create a culture of humility and servant heartedness, submission to one another. So a lot of churches will do this. They'll actually sometimes have people. It could be elders. Maybe it's people with gifts of discernment. Maybe it's just uh, some pastors or whoever it is or some mature believers. And sometimes they'll actually have uh, people like that at the front. And if during the service you feel that God is showing you something, you're having a revelation come to your mind and you feel like it could be a message for the community, they'll come up and they'll actually share it with these sort of gatekeepers who will kind of listen to it and kind of they'll assess and discern and they'll say, okay, actually we do think this is for the community. And so make a space in the, during the worship that person can get up and share. Or other times they might say, hey, we thanks for sharing that. We think maybe that is God speaking, but we actually don't think it's for the community. Maybe that's just for you, you know, and so, uh, but always, if that happens, you know, we got to be humble. Like I've said, I know I'm repeating myself a lot here, but I just really want to drive the point home that there has to be this humility and submission to the process. So anyway, I just wanted to cover a little bit about weighing and testing prophecy uh, because it is such a critical part of this whole thing and it's something that we need to know how to do well. So I hope you found this episode helpful. You know, even if you don't have a gift of prophecy, this is stuff you need to know because there's going to be people probably at one point or another who are going to come to you. And, uh, you know, if you're in the church or you're part of a Christian community, at some point, probably someone's going to come to you and, and share something with you that, hey, I felt that God was saying this or I felt that the Lord was saying that. And you need to know what to do with it. So I hope this kind of gave you a little bit of understanding of how do you weigh and test these things. You know, and looking at, again, just to recap, is looking at this comparison of scripture. God will, never lies. He's a spirit of truth. He'll never contradict himself. And his, in the word of God is the highest authority. And so all prophecy has to come under submission, in submission to the word of God. Number two, is it a father or a husband that is speaking to, a father speaking to his children? Or is it a husband speaking to his bride? And does it have the fruit of the spirit? Is there a sense that when God is speaking, it comes with his love and joy and peace and so on? Uh, you know, is what's being said accurate? Well, okay, maybe it is, but let's also employ the other ways of testing so that, because accuracy in and of itself can't be the only way we test it. Uh, you know, are there people with gifts of discernment present? Are they able to weigh in and, and actually sense very clearly if God is in something? And does it come to pass? So there's a couple of things you can do uh, just to, you know, to weigh and test these things. And uh, so anyway, I want to thank you so much for joining me and for tuning in to this episode. I hope you found this helpful and uh, stay tuned. We got some more coming and we're going to cover a few more of the spiritual gifts in the coming episodes. So God bless you. Take care.